Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Hello. Hi. Greetings. How's it going? Hello there. Hi. What's up, everyone? It's Steve Ag. You're listening to episode 72 of Steve Ag. Uh. Um, this week, my guest is my good friend and wonderful human being and very talented artist, artiste Lorraine Newman. Lorraine, you may know as an original, original cast member of Saturday Night Live. Original cast member. Not many people can say that. I think only like, I think only two I think there were only two cast members on the first season of Saturday Night Live. I think it was Lorraine Newman and it was that one guy. <laughs> it was Lorraine Newman and Garrett Morris. Those were the only two cast members on SNL. Their first, I think first five years. It was Lorraine and Garrett for five years. <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> Obviously, that's all false, except for the fact that Lorraine is an original cast member of Saturday Night Live. She is uh, one of the founding members of the Groundlings sketch comedy and improv troupe here in Los Angeles, a little group that I was once a part of 20 or so years ago. Oh, my God. It's so weird to be able to say you did something 20 years ago. And we're still an adult, really. That's nuts. Um, I'm a huge fan of Lorraine. She's such an awesome person. She's also done... Uh, I met Lorraine through comedy. <laughs> comedy introduced us. No, I met Lorraine... You know, I honestly I don't know the exact moment I met Lorraine. It might have been through uh, our friend Janet Varney. It might have been at Largo. Um, it might have just been online on Twitter. Anyway, I'm a fan. We've had Lorraine do our show. When I say our, I mean myself and Brendan Small. We have a monthly show called Baked, a night of stand-up comedy and music. Lorraine's done it twice, and she's been amazing both times. Um, I think I just heard somebody scream outside. I should maybe check, but also maybe finish this intro. And speaking of Baked... Uh, this is January. As I'm writing this, I believe it's January 16th. It is. I'm looking at a calendar right now. Uh, January 16th. January 28th, which is a Saturday night of this month, Brendan Small and I will be back doing our show Baked. Um, not at the Hollywood Improv, which is where we've been doing it for the past year or so. We're doing it as part of uh, an event called A Night on Broadway. 
uh, where they, I, I think I mentioned this on my last podcast, they closed down the street in downtown Los Angeles, the street named Broadway, hence a night on Broadway. And they open all the vintage um, old theaters. It's really amazing. There's a ton of old theaters downtown Los Angeles that uh, I didn't really know about even when I lived downtown in like the mid 90s. Uh, so we did it last year for the first time at a place called the Tower Theater. It was amazing. Matt Bronger did the show with us. And um, this year we're doing it at a place, I believe, called the Palace Theater, which is massive. I don't know why they're having us do our dog and pony show there, but we're doing it again this month, the 28th, I believe around 8 o'clock p.m., uh, you can go to their website to find out. We don't have all the full details yet, but uh, you can check a night on Broadway dot L.A. Uh, for more info or just uh, keep following Brendan and myself on Twitter and um, Instagram and we'll be posting updates. And I believe that's it. Let's get into this episode. I've talked for four minutes, so that's long enough. And uh, I had a good talk for a little over an hour. I got to talk to Lorraine for another hour easily. In fact, <laughs> when we stopped uh, recording, we ended up just talking for like another half hour. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so let's get into this with uh, my guest and friend, Lorraine Newman. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Lorraine, if you hear this, thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. Have a good night or day. Just have a good thing. Have bye. Good. You should do voiceover, Lorraine. You think? Okay, we're recording now. Thanks. Oh. You're going up to San Francisco next weekend. This weekend, this coming weekend, uh, doing the uh, Futurama panel. Yeah. And then the next night, I'm doing a celebrity autobiography, and then my own show that I wrote called The Audition. What's your show about? It is about. Uh, is it improvised or is no, it God, a written? No, no, it is a written show? thing that I wrote after coming home from yet another completely mortifying audition. Uh, and it's like you know, I auditioned for Bob Hope. I, I auditioned for King of Comedy with Robert De Niro. No, in the room with Robert De Niro, yeah, you auditioned. Yeah, and were you nervous? Oh yeah, fuck yeah, because I. <laughs> I knew that I had no business doing it because I, you know, it was it was a character I was just completely incapable of playing. How did that come about? Right just, agent? No, well, you know, the casting director, because they eventually cast Sandra Bernhardt. So right. I think that they were going for a type. Yeah. You know, angry Jewess. But uh, what did you audition oh, uh, for with Bob Hope? Um. It was for one of his Road specials. Road to Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. With Dorothy Lamar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, it's one of his shows. And this was at uh, a studio that I don't even think is there anymore on Vine. Oh, wow. But, you know, Joel Silver was a big fan of The Groundlings in the very, very beginning. And I think that yeah. he, either he got me that audition or, or someone else. But, um, you know, I was doing The Valley Girl. Everybody thought... Yeah. Everybody of my generation thought it was interesting. By the way, my girlfriend, when I told her I was interviewing you, like freaked out. She's like, she kept. I don't know why she wanted to bring bring it up, but she was like, "Oh my god, do you know what Jewish jeans are?" Oh, Jewess, yeah. Jewess jeans. She's yes. like, uh, 
And she tried showing it to me on the internet. We couldn't find it. Yeah, you know, really good about keeping their stuff. Very proprietary. You got to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't see it, but I vaguely remember it. Yeah, and that's Gilda, by the way. Yeah, in but that, you were in it, right? No, you I weren't th- in it. I think I know. I, she may be thinking of um, when they were going to ban saccharin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marilyn Miller, yeah, uh, wrote this. Um, it was another name for it, but she wrote this uh, song parody called "Goodbye Saccharin," right. and the you know it was Rhonda Weiss and the Ronettes because right. that was her Jewish character, right. the JAP character that Gilda did. And in fact, that was one of those times where you know a star dropped by and mm-hmm. then was in the show, and I was like, God. Damn it, you know, and it was Linda Ronstadt. And we were backup singers, and all of a sudden she opened her mouth, and it was, we all sounded so great because of her. I was like, all right. Yeah. You know, but that's how I feel when I do that show with Brendan. Oh, yeah. Those guys, the monthly, our monthly music show. Like, I'm a shitty guitar player, but when I play with all those guys, oh, yeah, yeah. When I play with all those guys, it just, I think it just makes me better. They're the wind beneath your. Wings, basically. Beneath my shitty, tattered, <laughs> hole-filled wings. Aw. Um, are you an original Groundlings member? Yeah, founding member. Uh, it Actually, we started out as an improv workshop. I was at CalArts for about three months. That's where I met Paul Rubens, actually. No way. I had an ex yeah. that went to CalArts. Oh, really? This was out in... Uh, Valencia. What was it? Valencia. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't like CalArts. I had actually yeah. gone there because a friend of mine wanted me to be his audition partner. Yeah. And then they offered me a spot. Really? But it was the theater program. And I don't know. It's just a lot of actors. It's a weird school. I remember my girlfriend at the time, this was in like the early 90s or mid 90s. She was a photographer. and She got accepted in the photography program. And I was trying to be a musician at that time in my life. And she's like, you should uh, apply to CalArts. And I kind of did some research on it. And I was like, I don't think that's for me. It's a really weird curriculum. And It was interesting. I mean, there was this uh, space on the campus that was for art. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who the artist was, but it was an installation, quote unquote, yeah. of a giant bird shit, which I thought was interesting and they offered <laughs> tai chi it was like part of the curriculum so yeah. i took it with this guy named marshall ho uh-huh. and uh years was later was, <laughs> exactly <laughs> years later i was um passing these people doing tai chi in the park in Homeby park yeah. and i said god you know this looks like fun i'd really like to check it out i, I said i've studied it before and they said who was your teacher and i said marshall ho and they were like you know, he was really? evidently a legend of some kind or a, a great master. Really? You know, but this is the 70s. Who knew? So how did the Groundlings we come were, about from... Well, Gary Gary Austin was, uh, I think he was with the San Francisco t- Committee. Yeah. And he came here and he started an improv workshop. And there yeah. were really, I mean, you wouldn't believe the people that were there. It was Pat Barita. No one. Who you know went on to be Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi, yeah. And Arnold Jack, from Happy Days. Yes, that's right. Well, I didn't see any of that shit. But also Jack Sue, who people know from Bar- oh, yeah, Barney, Barney Miller. Miller. Yeah. But I saw him when I was growing up on a show called Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. And the lead uh, guy was Tony Franciosa. 
Oh, yeah. And he played the swinging advertising executive. And Jack Sue was his wisecracking personal valet. Oh, my God. And he was so funny on this show. And I was so excited to meet him. Yeah. Uh, and Tim Matheson was in it. From Leave It. Le- no, Tim Matheson, who played Otter. Oh, from uh, Animal, Animal House. Animal House, yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. And Valerie Curtin, who was a writer, uh, she was Barry Levinson's partner, also Jane Curtin's cousin. No way. And was in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore because I had become friends with Martin Scorsese at this <laughs> diner. This is all in my show, is by the way. Is this in New way. York? No, it's here in L.A. What? This is all in Why my show. Why is Scorsese in L.A.? Um, I don't know. I feel I just, like he's such a New York person. Oh, yeah. Well, he was editing Mean Streets. Uh, <laughs> so I got okay. to see a rough cut of it. And without, you met him at a diner? Yeah, this diner. We ate at the same diner every morning called Duke's. Oh, I know Duke's. It was on Sunset. No, it was on, well, that was the other one. But this was on Santa Monica Boulevard. It's, okay. you know, it was right below the Tropicana Motel. Right. Which was, you know. Holy shit. Home of the heroin overdose. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we would, and so that's how I became acquainted with him. I wouldn't say friends. I became acquainted with him. Right. Um, and so he came to see the groundlings. We were not the groundlings yet. We hadn't come up with the name yet. Right. But, uh, he saw Valerie in that and cast her and Alice doesn't live here anymore. Holy shit. Where were you guys doing this? We were doing this at the Cellar Theater, which, you know, I love Blaine Capatch's line about this looks like a good place to give up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's this neighborhood. <laughs> what neighborhood <laughs> is that? It was, uh, on Vermont. It was just off Vermont. But then okay. we moved to the Oxford Theater, which was also one of those neighborhoods um (laughs) good place to give up and then (laughs) we were at this place on barry in uh, santa monica for a while when Mm -hmm. we left the oxford but we hadn't gotten our new spot yet and that's where we voted on the name it was either the working class Oh or God, the groundlings. And I thought, great, you know, working class, because we're a class, you know. Yeah. The groundlings, I thought, made us look like a bunch of hippies that would, and would, that we would outgrow the name. Yeah, yeah. So I voted against it. And how many of you were there? Um, God, 20, 25. You know, if you ever go to the groundlings theater. I was in the groundlings. That's right. Have we I had that conversation. I yeah. Did, I did, was never in the company. I oddly got kicked out to this day. I, it, it doesn't bother me anymore because I can, I can see myself becoming very comfortable if I had been a company member and never leaving and just teaching improv <laughs> for forever and doing shows, which wouldn't have been bad. But, um, yeah, I, I was in a band started dating a girl who was taking classes there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that place. When I was 18, uh, I knew that's where you and, uh, you know, Paul Rubens had come from. And so when I knew I was going to be coming to L.A., I was like, I should, I should be in the Groundlings. And so I called the office. I looked them up in the phone book, called the office, and I was like, Hey, uh, yeah, how do I get in your company? I was so <laughs> stupid at Aww. 18. And they're like, well, you take, gotta, you take classes and then uh, you get voted into the Sunday company and then the main company. And I was like, classes? I was <laughs> I'm like, ready. I go, I'm, I'm ready, ready to go. Funny. How much are classes? And I forget what it was at the time. But I was like, uh, that's a ripoff. And um, hung up the phone. And then it wasn't until almost 
probably eight or nine years later that I met this girl and I was like, Oh yeah, I'll go to a show. And I went and the show was amazing. And, um, and I think it was an improv show I went to. I don't think all improv. I, I don't. Yeah. It was like the, the Thursday show. Yeah. The cooking with gas. And, um, I was like, Oh fuck. I wish I would have taken classes when I was 18. I was like, I'm, I'm so far behind. I want to do this. And I auditioned, I think the very next weekend and, uh, got into uh, my first basic class and Melanie was teaching Melanie. Oh my God. And then, uh, She's a good teacher. Oh, no, no. David John was my first teacher. Oh, you're kidding. Melanie was my intermediate teacher. Ah, and then Mike McDonald. You're kidding and me. Lee Sterling was my, advisor. wow. Oh my God. Yeah. And that was an amazing class. It was me and Maya Rudolph, um, ah. Jordan black. Um, oh my God. Um, I didn't, Spivey, all these people were in that's my, amazing. I didn't know Jordan and uh, Maya were in the same class. Yeah, that's amazing. But I, I was paying for classes by working in the office. I would videotape shows for people. Um, so it was my life for like five years, as it is with everybody. Sure, everyone who gets involved in that place is either like all in or just like they leave after. Like yeah, immediate. and I was so into it. And then uh, I remember after our final class, Mindy called me up and she was crying. Aww. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I was the last person in the group that she called because she was just avoiding it. Oh, and, was this uh, to go into the Sunday company? To the Sunday company. It was our final um, advanced class. Those fools. And it was a weird thing where you have to be voted in. So like you can only be voted in by people who see both your shows. Right. Mm -hmm. And our first show, everybody showed up. Everyone in the company showed up the night of our second show, which was like six weeks, six weeks later, there was a bomb scare. And so they had to clear the whole block. Oh on man. Rose, and we had to cancel the show and we did it the next night. I think only like, three people showed up to vote. Oh, geez. So there were very few people voting. And, um, yeah. Then after that, I was just like, what the fuck do I do? Oh, I don't my even know God. how all this came That's, up. But I was like, I wonder about that because you know, the, it is an, it's, it's a gauntlet for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, there are so many great people that don't get oh, yeah. into the Sunday company because it's, it's size, yeah. you know? So many people. So I remember between my writer's lab and my advanced class, I had to wait a year. Oh man. So I moved wow. to Oregon. <laughs> I moved to Oregon with my girlfriend and we lived there for a year because she was waiting for a year too. And then when the year was up, we just moved back to LA. That's amazing to me. The, yeah. You know, the, first of all, the idea that you have to wait a year I know, it's so and that you guys traveled somewhere you were both waiting. Yeah. It was so bonkers. And then, uh, yeah, after the girl I was dating after that was like, you need to go to therapy. I was so depressed. I can see. And I that mean, was the best, actually the best thing that ever happened to me was going to therapy. It's uh, good for all of us. But if I hadn't gotten kicked out, I never would have met Sarah. I never mm -hmm. would have been on her show. Sure. Like it was really what I needed to get my career going was getting kicked out. Yeah. And I knew so many people who had been kicked out that were just bitter for so many years and like, fuck them. And yeah, I just can't hold resentment that way. Well, also I would think that you did. Yes. Yours that you did uh, learn some valuable stuff. 
you know, that you benefited from. No it. regrets at all. Yeah. And I met some people who I'm like super good friends with to this day, like Maya and Jordan and mm-hmm. Emily and you know, my sister was a director there for many, many years. No way. Tracy Newman, Tracy Newman. And, uh, she went on to be a comedy writer for TV. And my sister wrote a show for John Belushi's brother. <laughs> Cause it's all connected. Yeah. That's so funny. So how long had you been, when did the Groundlings move to Melrose? Um, the current. they moved when I went to do Saturday Night Live. So it was about 1975. And how long had it, had it been the Groundlings we, before you, you went to SNL? We'd been a workshop since, uh, the early seventies, like maybe 72. Yeah. But we don't consider ourselves having started until 74 because I guess that's when we selected our name and yeah. started performing under a name. Was it weird? Like, being an artist and like, I just want to do improv. I just want to perform to then to start a business, like to start, to start like an improv theater. And like, who was the one that's like, we're going to, we're going to rent this theater or buy this space. And we're going to like, yeah, I don't know. I would not know how to do that. Yeah. Neither would I. But fortunately, you know, there were some people who, and they were all actors, Yeah. but who knows? I mean, it's I wasn't there for that mind. and I wish I knew. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fine to do that. It's a conglomerate now. And we bought the building across the street, which That's was pretty recent. thrilling. Yeah. I was driving down. I avoid Melrose like the plague. Not because the Groundlings is there, but because it's just one of the worst streets in the world to have to yeah. drive down. So I maybe drive down Melrose Avenue like once a year. And it's usually late at night after I'm leaving the improv. But yeah, last time I was driving down, I was like, oh, there's the Groundlings. And I glance over to the right and I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like yeah. this huge... It's like two floors, right? Yeah, it has an elevator in it, Steve. I mean, this was something when we did the ribbon cutting, all of the original groundlings were like, it has an elevator in it. (laughs) You know, the legitimacy of an elevator. It was, it's very exciting. I'm very proud of what they did, especially since I was from the only improv company that nobody had ever heard of. (laughs) And everybody was from Second Second City City. or Jane Curtin was from The Proposition. I don't even know what that is. Well, I didn't either, but you know, somehow mine, I had invited the guys to come see the Groundlings when we were actually across the street because the theater wasn't ready. And it was just a bad show. So it just yeah. kind of furthered, you know, this uh, image of the sh- of the groundlings that wasn't. Did it just start as improv, or were you always doing sketch? Um, certain improvs that worked, you know, became sketches. That's you know, yeah. I mean, you know that. Yeah. Uh, but I was always the down left person. I was always the person who was do- doing character monologues. Oh yeah, yeah, monologues. Yeah, that scared the shit out of me. That was really what I was best at. I am a shitty improviser. And right now, uh, Bill Steinkellner, uh, original member, he does a, a workshop now, uh, a class, and it's yeah. all like, you know, old groundlings. <laughs> I think it's really amazing. You know, for, for those listening, I do a show monthly with Brendan Small. It's such a great show. And you've done it like twice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's like stand up, it's comedy and then music. We have a band 
of like really amazing musicians, like I mentioned earlier. Not, I mean, not only Brendan, who was his yeah. created Metalocalypse and is like a you know has a, a degree, virtuoso. Yeah, he has a degree sure. in guitar. But it's like all these guys who played was Zappa, with right? Zappa's son, one of our guys, you know, Mike, who you've met, and yes, played with Zappa. And then I remember the night you did our show for the first time at the Baked Potato. Joe came to rehearsal. Joe is our drummer who played with uh, Dweezil, and he's like the he's one of the utmost authorities on everything Zappa. He mm -hmm. runs the Zappa Music Vault and. He came in. He's like, "Oh my God, you got to see this picture." Someone, someone sent me a photo uh, from a Zappa show. I think at the Palladium. Mm -hmm. On, I think it's a New Year's Eve show. Mm -hmm. And he's like, "They sent me this photo, and it's you on stage at the with Frank Zappa at the Palladium." And he's like, I can't wait to ask her about this and show it to her. And I think he showed it to her and you had no recollection of that it That is all. true. I do not remember that at all. <laughs> and there's proof of my body being there. But man, I do not remember that. You don't that. remember that at mm -mm. all? That, no. That seems like something that would be so hard to forget. I know, because I am a fan. But yeah. uh, boy... Yeah, that's, you know, when I got, when they uh, put out the first five years on DVD, yeah. uh, I started watching it and there were sketches I had no memory of doing. Right. But it also, it's 40 years ago. Yeah, there's a thing where I just assume everyone who I'm a fan of will remember everything they've worked on. Like if I were to, to meet Bill Murray, I'd have a million questions about Groundhog Day and meatballs and stripes. And I'm sure he'd be like... I, I don't remember yeah. much about it because I don't remember shit that I was doing just 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but that's so funny. Did you, how did you meet Zappa? Did you meet him at SNL? He was, yeah, he was a musical guest and actually he was very interested in doing something with my Valley Girl character. He was fascinated yeah. by it and we had discussions, but nothing ever came of it, you and know, then, and then his daughter, which was him. great. Yeah. Um, that's so crazy that you knew Zappa. Yeah. I knew a lot of people, Steve. I knew Warren Zevon. We dated, <laughs> oh, you, you know, dated Warren Zevon. I that's did. So crazy. I know I did. He was, Oh God, what a funny guy. What a brilliant guy. What were the seventies? like? <laughs> well, let me see. It's um, so funny. The, Oh, this was in the eighties actually. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. It was after the show. Yeah, I, I just remember hearing all... You just hear nothing about, like, cocaine and quaaludes and everything. And and now my friends who are at SNL now are just like... Straight edge. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm uh, I'm vegan. I'm gluten-free. Right. I don't... Well, you know, <laughs> a lot of them are, are we, drugs, but. what we would call mature. You know, <laughs> I... Uh, Oh, I was so immature, but I also came there with uh, a bit of a drug problem anyway. I also don't think people, it was very people knew the consequences. Yeah, back it was considered very benign then. Did you hear Garrett on uh, Mark Maron's podcast? No, I didn't know he interviewed him. Garrett Morris, I think it was about a year, maybe a little more ago, did Mark Maron's podcast. And one of the first things that came up was he said he'd been uh, sober hadn't done cocaine in like, <laughs> I think he said something. He's like, Oh yeah, I haven't done cocaine. He's like, I've been sober from cocaine for like eight years now. 
And Mark's like, you're like 70. <laughs> yeah. That <means> <laughs> That's a holdout. In your late 60s. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, man. Wow. My hat's off to him. <laughs> I know. That's Jesus. So I did an episode of Two Broke Girls once and I got to meet him and he was so cool. And, He's very nice. And, He's very uh, sweet. So talented. We rehearsed the whole week and then um, the episode was he had a heart attack and comes to the hospital and I'm like the hospital administrator or whatever. And then shoot day is like a really mellow day and then they, you know, you rehearse once and then they let you go eat. And I went into the commissary, and there's no one there but Garrett. He's like, come sit over here, man. Oh, great. And we just talked for a while. And I think I had already known you at this point, so mm -hmm. I said, I knew you. And he's like, oh, my God, I love Lorraine. And Yeah, it was so surreal. I, I mean, I know I probably shouldn't be interviewing you, but I want to hear all about, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's oh, so can, exciting. Uh, I've signed some non-disclosure okay. agreements, but I, I know can about talk that about stuff. how awesome it was to. What is your character? It, he's a rabbit. You see the first one? Yes. The the group, the Ravagers, Michael Rooker's kind of like the oh, right. space pirates. Okay, got it. I'm one of those guys. And Swell. I got to grow my beard out for, not got to, I had to. Uh-huh. Um, like probably six months before he started shooting, James was like, stop shaving. I was like, do you have any lines? I do. I have a bunch of lines. Oh my God. That's so exciting. Um, so it was six months of, I was like, oh my God, I get I have six months. Shave. Wow. And then after like two months, I was just, all I wanted to do was shave. I <laughs> had never had a beard that long. And, um, what is it like to have a beard that you don't want? It's really weird because it's also, I have, I don't want it, but I have it because of this amazing reason. Right. But like, it gets to a point where it's so long that you'll wake up and it'll be folded like <laughs> under your face. So it feels like you're laying on a pile of twigs or whatever, or it'll be in your mouth. Oh, Jesus. Nobody ever talks about that. No talks, you know what no one talks about is beard dandruff. No way. Because you get dandruff just like you get on top of your head because it's still on your of head. Of course. So like I would, I remember when it got to a certain length, I'd be wearing like a black t-shirt and I'd be like, where did that all over come me? from? I didn't eat crackers or anything. Or if you go into a, like a bar or something that's got black lights, it's just like, bing, <laughs> just like white specks all over your shirt. And you're like, oh my God. So I would like shampoo my chin with like head and shoulders and I'd have to. <laughs> I got into all the beard oils and shit just to keep that from happening. But wow, I felt really old because how long did it get? It got, I'll show you a picture after this, but it got like old man in the mountain too long. Yeah. And there's like, I have a couple gray spots, which I look like an old prospector, <laughs> but it was fun. It was the, um, it's really the first I've done mostly TV. Any movie mm -hmm. I've ever done has been like, so low budget and right. just like really shitty conditions, but this was the first like big budget thing I'd done. I am so glad. I was so stoked when I saw oh those God. pictures you started posting. It's been test testing really well too, and I just went and did ADR for it, and oh, wow. so I got to see a couple of my scenes, and I was like, "Holy shit!" That's so like, great. Oh I guess I'm officially in this. They didn't, cut yeah. Me out. Because there were a lot, there was a lot of really funny stuff, but I, I just remember thinking, none of the shit I'm doing here is 
important to the story. So like they can, yeah. if they need to cut time. Mm-hmm. They can cut a lot of my stuff. Did out. they ask you to improvise at all? Very little. James mm-hmm. is like a really good writer. Um, there were a few scenes where he'd say, basically, it's new choice. Say something else. Uh-huh. I'd say something else. But it, for the most part, he would just give me stuff to say. Great. That's fantastic. And I got to hang out in Atlanta for a month. How did you like it? I love it's, Atlanta. Isn't it a great city? Holy shit. I'd never been before. I've had some of the best food of my life mm. in Atlanta. And not just like Southern, you know, soul food. or ribs. It's pretty cosmopolitan in yeah, a lot of ways. Like, I had maybe the best ramen of my life. Oh, wow. In like downtown. <laughs> ramen, y'all. Yeah. Hey, y'all. <laughs> some ramen. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the guys on the movie, one of the actors had a friend there who's like a chef. And so, oh, that's the best. He would take us to like, oh, you got to come to this place. That's how we found the ramen place. It was in this, this little strip mall, just like they are out here. And, uh, holy shit, it was so good. I love the whole idea. I mean, when you read Jonathan Gold's, <clears throat> like the top 10 restaurants in LA this year, a lot of them are in strip malls. Yeah. Which is just never so incongruous to me, but wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, they're not on Beverly or on right. Melrose. They're just like... Yeah, they're in Arcadia. <laughs> yeah, or Studio <laughs> City or Chatsworth. Yeah. Did you? So you grew up out here in Atlanta. I grew up in Westwood. And then when my brother and I were 11, our family took us to Beverly Hills. It was not our fault. <laughs> So we went from... Were you bummed about that? Well, yeah. I mean, because every all my friends were in Westwood. and <laughs> That's like five miles. It is. But, you know, when you're like 11, it's a big deal. Oh, you were 11. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is a big deal. Um, I mean, we adjusted. But it was very different. The mentality, the level of sophistication of those kids yeah. versus Westwood. Yeah. It was a whole different thing. I love it. it was going back to Valley Girl. Did, did you, you saw the movie Valley Girl? I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. I love how in that movie, how anti Valley the people who lived in Hollywood were, or how anti Hollywood, like they would be at school. And, hey, we're gonna go to the go to Hollywood to this bar, and, and they're like. I'm not going over the hill. Everyone's uh-huh. like, I'm not going over the hill. Like it is like they're acting like they had to climb a mountain to get to Hollywood or, they, or vice versa. They had that, I think, in Big Wednesday too, where it's like, you know, get the vowels yeah. out of there. Yeah. You know, you can't be here, dude. You've given up on surfing. You moved to the valley. You moved <laughs> inland. No, these were people from the valley. They didn't like people from the valley coming and surfing in Malibu because oh, they were yeah. vowels, you know? I love that movie. Me too. It's one of my favorite movies. Me too. Me too. That's why we're buddies. I think it's the best, the best thing Gary Busey's ever done. Yeah. One of, well, I'm trying to think there's some other things that he's been pretty great in before. Those guys, Jan Michael Vincent. I know. Oh my God. I know. Poor Jan Michael Vincent. He could have been so fucking huge. I know. Uh, there's, I saw him in a movie with Kim Basinger, and I don't remember the name of it, but there was a scene in it that made me laugh so much because she made lunch for him, like a, a brown bag lunch for him to take to work. <laughs> yeah. And she's like half asleep, so she's like, you know, pulling out bread and just like, 
you know, just putting it, uh, putting mayonnaise on it, slapping some bologna, putting that, you know, putting the top thing on, shoving it in a yeah. bag. And she said, think of me with every bite. Ew. <laughs> Gross. Oh, God. What the fuck? Now I want to know what movie that was. Well, um, we could go on IMDb. Do you... So did, I'm trying to think if I answered the questions about the the groundlings. I think I did. I think so. I didn't even. I wasn't even planning on asking questions. That's cool. I like talking about the groundlings. I do too. It's. I mean, it. I feel like I was there for ten years, even though it was mm-hmm. like four or five. But um, it's hard work, you know. Yeah, and they're still cranking out like some amazing performers. F- Will Forte was there when I oh, was there. Oh God! Oh, that's great. I remember in my when I was in basic class, I think was when uh, Will Ferrell and Anna went to SNL. Oh yeah, because um, my ex husband was in the Sunday Company with Will and Sherry. Oh no shit! Yeah, I see Sherry all the time at my at the, my Starbucks at the Starbucks. <laughs> to, uh, the For house. those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it's Sherry O'Terry. She, uh, she's a firecracker. She's great. She's awesome. I did a short film with her, uh, God, it's five or six years ago. And we had just met at the Starbucks. She was like, Hey, I know you. And I was oh. like, Hey, I know you. <laughs> she's so tiny. She's like five foot one or something. And, um, we had like a mutual friend. And then I think we did like a, a funnier die video that was like, it was based on those um, to catch a predators. Oh, great! But she was playing this like single woman who was desperate to catch a guy, so she was posing as like a little kid. And That's hysterical. I came in and she just didn't want me to leave. It was so fucking funny. We shot her at her house, which was amazing. I've never been there. I think it, it used to belong to somebody really like, like one of those Hollywood legend type. Zazu Pitts. Something like that. But I remember because she had a photo on the wall of her house. It was an old black and white photo. And it was her house. And it was on this hill. And there was no other houses around it. Now it's just surrounded by houses. You know, it's just a thick, dense neighborhood. I was like, is this your house? And she's like, yeah, that was taken in like the 30s or something. Jesus. I love seeing pictures like that of, you know, early Westwood, early Beverly Hills, early Cahuenga Boulevard. Have you ever yeah. seen those pictures? Oh, my God, yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing there but this road and a few houses. Yeah. Or the, I love the fact that the 110 freeway was like the first freeway in, in Los Angeles. And uh, it still has stop signs on it. Like not the freeway, freeway, but the on ramps. Oh my God. Pull up, you know, in like Highland park area to get on the freeway on the, on the one ten to go to like say Pasadena and it's a stop sign and it's literally like on the entrance to the freeway. So you are at a dead stop. You're, you're not gaining speed. You're at a dead stop. And this was built in like the forties. And so now it's like just cars are going by and you're lucky if you can, you know, get on the freeway. Jesus. So nobody obeys it. I don't think so. I don't know how you can. Hmm. Yeah. Did you, I just went for, um, for new year's, my girlfriend and I went to Asheville, North Carolina, which I'd never been. It was beautiful, but we went to this place called the Biltmore estate. I've never heard of it or said there's, I had never heard of it either. She was like, 
my family and I used to go here when I was a little kid. And I was like, oh, well, okay. And she's like, maybe we should go there for New Year's. And I was like, okay, that'll be awesome. She showed me photos. It is, I believe, I mean, now it's kind of a tourist attraction, but I believe it was and still is the largest residence, like the largest house. Oh, wow. In the United Bigger States. than Aaron's spellings. <laughs> yeah. God. Way bigger. Holy shit. This house. Wow. Is so massive. And it was the Biltmore family because there's a Biltmore hotel downtown. No, it was and the uh, Vanderbilt. Oh, interesting. So, wow. A lot of money. And it is. I can't, <laughs> I, I, I'm speechless. At, I can't even describe how big it is. And the not even just the house, but the property. You can stand on the back, like the back porch of this house, and look out over the hills of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. As far as you can see, as far as your eyes will let you see, there there's like a like not, it's not really a mountain, but it's this big hill, like way off in the distance. It's the farthest thing you can see, and they're like, this family owns. Everything, Everything in between. between here wow. There. So there's not a building in sight. It is so So huge. people get to tour it? Yeah, you can take you can take tours and it's like they're self tours. There's not like a tour guide. Uh -huh. I guess there's probably private tours, but like you buy a ticket and then there are groups of like twenty or some people that they let go in like every fifteen, twenty minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's kinda like roped off areas that you walk you just walk through this house. And, and witness the unimaginable wealth. And it makes you fucking depressed. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing to see. I'm so glad I got to see it. But there were times when I was just like, fuck, I got to go back to my apartment next week. This is, holy shit. I w the, even the servants' quarters that are in the, there's basements where the, you know, the help used to live. And I was like, fuck, even these rooms are awesome. Palatial. Oh, man. It, it's so huge. Huh. The life of Downton Abbey. I think, I feel like they filmed part of Downton, Downton Abbey in, in these places. Like, not the whole episode, but like, the, they did some exterior stuff. Uh, really? Why would they? They have so much. Well, maybe they did. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't but, know. But yeah, I think one of the appeals of a show like Downton Abbey is seeing how that whole system was and how well taken care of yeah. the wealthy were. I mean, machine. everything was taken care of for them. Yeah. <clears throat> Their house is spotless. Yeah. You know, uh, they get served, they get dressed yeah. by other people. Yep. Dressed. Yeah. That, is that isn't a nuts. concept. <laughs> I would not want that. Even if I don't care how rich I, I was. I know. Like, Who would? Get your hands off me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to me to even consider how that came about. But I, yeah. you know, it's gone back God knows how many centuries. So certainly like a hoop skirt ain't easy to put on. No, I mean, or yeah, a corset. certain aspects about that period of time where I'm just like, eh, I think I'm good. Yeah. I don't need to deal without <laughs> not having phones or I think for a long time, this was pre-electricity too. So like. Mm -hmm. There'd just be candles all over the hole. And it was all stone. Like, none of it's wood. So there... I don't think there would be any fire damage. Wow. Happen. It was, I got a personal tour of William Faulkner's house. Uh, what is it called? Roanoke? Yeah. Um, I'm 
I wrote a fan letter to this guy, Jack Pendarvis, because he... <laughs> How he, old were you? No, this is somewhat recently As because... An adult, you wrote yeah, a I emailed letter. him. I emailed him because he had... You know the magazine, uh, The Believer? No. Okay. It's uh, Dave Eggers magazine uh-huh. and it had it has like a column like called sederatives david sederis was supposed to do it but really he couldn't and so but they, they the just name. have guest people all the time and it's just a fake advice column but the questions are so great and they just give them to you and and you answer them but there was another column called musins and thinkins uh-huh. written by jack pendarvis and they were so funny so i just wrote him an email saying yeah. oh this stuff is so great i'm such a fan yeah and he's like i can't tell you i was in a low point in my life it meant so much to me thank you so much and one thing led to another and i came to the university uh yeah. to do a, a kind of an interview show but i got a personal tour of william faulkner's house and and it's it's really he was a dick they t- <laughs> i mean they they show uh the um one of his daughters and i don't know if he had more than one but they show her like uh you know how kids <laughs> keep albums together p- pictures that they cut out of movie yeah, stars yeah, and yeah, stuff like, like that yeah i wish i could remember exactly one of the things that they told us he said to her but basically like killing her dreams you know Ugh. um and Another interesting thing was that he did not have a TV. He detested yeah. television, but he liked Car 54, Where Are You? No. And, you know, he had a neighbor who had a TV, so he would walk down to the guy's house to watch it. Really? Yeah. he just go to his neighbor's, yeah. can I watch Car 54 with you? Oh, he's a buddy. But, you know, I love knowing that. He that. was a dick. Yeah. There's was nothing more than a... There's, few things i hate more than people being shitty to kids yeah he was a mean drunk i when i first started dating my girlfriend and i i want to keep doing this but like she lives in cincinnati ohio so a lot of facetiming um and so when we first started dating i'd be here and she'd be there and so we would read to each other we'd set up set up our phones and we would so goofy we would set up our phones And we'd read to each other. And like there's a time difference. So I'd read to her as she was going to bed. And one of the books we read was, um, oh, fuck, I don't want to ruin the name of it. It was uh, called Orbiting the Giant Hairball, I want to say. And it was written by this guy. Fuck, I'm not going to remember his name now. This guy who was a, um, who worked for the Hallmark Company in is it Kansas City? Uh-huh. I think they're based in Kansas City. They have a giant building that I think is called the Big Gray or something. It's just this huge building in Kansas City. And uh he was a writer there in this book just he he's it's very autobiographical. It's him telling about his experiences as a writer and how you think you'd have so much freedom to write and then how you kind of lose your freedom by getting notes from people and and there, and it's really is Hallmark a publisher or just, I, I associate them with greeting cards. It, he, he worked for the greeting oh, so card he, company. <laughs> no, he was writing I can see where being a writer for a greeting card would crush your dreams and, or your spirit. Uh, it's such an amazing book. And um, oh. it's really a, a book just about creativity and maintaining your creativity. But he talks about how he'll go and he's passed away since. But in this mm. book, he talks about going to like 
a school, a middle school to talk to kids about creativity and stuff. And he goes in and when he, he'll go to like the youngest group of kids, like the preschoolers or the kindergartners, Mm -hmm. there'll be like 30 of them in the room and he'll go, how many, how many, how many people, how many artists do we have in the room? Like all the kids raise their hand. I am an artist. They all raise their hand. And the older the kids get, like you'll go to third grade. How many artists in the room? Maybe six kids are like shyly, like, because they don't want to be laughed at or whatever. The older they get, it's just like, eventually they all. They see the world for what it is. I'm not creative and it's fucking. God. So I'm reading this to my girlfriend and sobbing because of like people telling these kids they can't be artistic or like, oh, that's fine, but do this and just like. We're reading it and I'm like crying because nothing bums me out more than people being fucking mean to kids or oh, stifling yeah. creativity and yeah. kids. Oh, it's so fucking sad to me. But that book is amazing and it's a, like a really quick read. It's like, I'm going to check that out for it's sure. Like two or three, three nights worth of reading. I'm down. I'm I'm reading Dean Koontz right now, and uh-huh. I this this is his early stage of writing because I think he's a wonderful writer. But this is not one of his greater vo- books. It's called The Door to December, uh-huh. and um, it is so sexist and racist, uh, no. but in a really s- subtle way. He it's like things that are no longer politically correct, but he means well. Yeah. You know, how old is he? Do you think? I don't know, but this was from I think the early. Either there were no cell phones, there were okay. no, you know, personal computers. Yep. So it had to have been Pre-90s, like early eighties. Yeah. 80s. But I love that it was set in LA. It's like we, I drove from Westwood to Sunset Boulevard into Bel Air. You know. <laughs> that makes me so happy when I read stuff like that. What's the cemetery in Westwood where all the famous people are buried? I don't know the name of it. I think Marilyn Monroe is Marilyn buried there. Marilyn Monroe is buried there. But the fact that it's behind a movie theater yeah. is so apt. And there's some I, I can't remember now who all's buried there, but there's some great um epitaphs on some of those I didn't stones. know that. Now I gotta check it out. Like really funny ones. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I wish I could remember who's. But yeah, are you watching anything right now? Oh my God. Binging anything? OA, the original Angel. It's on, uh, is it a. Like Angel from the Buffy, a spinoff of Buffy? No, oh my God, it's so much deeper (laughs) than that, man. I don't know. It's, uh, anything. A Brit Marling. I don't know if you know that actress. Yeah. Well, she wrote it. She created it with someone else. Oh, so this is fairly new. It's deep. Yeah, it's new. It's brand new. It's on uh, Netflix, I believe. Oh, my God. I have to check it out. You've got to check it out. It's so interesting. Um, my sister and I watch a lot of Swedish detective stuff. And the Bridge? Oh, yeah. The Bridge. I haven't seen um, that yet, but I I love the premise of Happy that. Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's so many Swedish ones that, of course, I can't remember the there's title. There's a Netflix show... That my girlfriend got me into. I think they, they did four seasons. I think it started on AMC and it got canceled like twice. And then Netflix picked it up to do the fourth and final season, but it's called The Killing. Oh, yeah. And it's based on like, a, I think a Swedish. It's a Swedish, Swedish show. show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched it when it was on AMC and I yeah. watched the last season. That I was love on. it. Yeah. It, it's also one of those. Uh, and when you see the original bridge, it's it's so interesting because the character that, um, of 
course. You know, this whole podcast is the, uh, oh, what is the uh, name of the podcast? Uh, uh, is because I'm always going, uh, um, uh, uh. Well, this actress is very interesting because she's fluent in French. This is my sister, Tracy Newman. Oh my gosh. Hi, Tracy Newman. How are you? He was at the Groundlings. Did you know that? He was at the Groundlings. When were you there? I was at Groundlings from 96 to about 99. Were you a director there? No, I left in 89, 88. Uh Melanie Graham was my intermediate teacher. Mindy Sterling was my advanced teacher. She was? I was there. Melanie, though, Melanie, I worked with, but Trevor Yeah. Paul Rubens was your student. John Paragon. Was Phil Hartman your student? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathy oh Griffin God. was her student. Oh, my God. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. But, you know, you don't, you don't really learn anything there. You just get, you know, yeah. environment. <laughs> I learned. I learned a lot there. Yeah. You learned, yeah, you learned stuff. Um, actually, we wrote the syllabus. That's right. I learned yes and. The original uh, syllabus for the Groundlings, I think. She wrote it with with Phyllis uh-huh. Katz. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. You see, honey, there is Groundlings history here. But, you know, a lot of those games, we took them from the Viola Spolin book. So even though we made up a lot of them, they were. Yeah, but today what's so interesting is that they, the Groundlings has really taken it to a whole other level, creating games and, yeah. you know, long form like you've never seen before. Yeah. You know, like the black version or, yeah. um, what is it, uh, Instaplay, um, what is that show with Brian Palermo? Is it Personals? What? Brian Palermo, it's Personals. Yeah. He, he, no, I'm good. Thanks. I'm good. Honey. I got this uh, concoction that your sister made for me. Uh, <laughs> Martinelli's. Presto changeo. <laughs> oh, I lost my train of thought. So did oh, I. Oh, yeah. Brian Palermo. The premise of this show, and they're doing it at Sketchfest. It's so brilliant. And so hard in terms of improv. Yeah. But he called through all these personal ads and got, you know, the ones that were most amusing and odd. Right. And he would read them, and then people would create characters based on the content of the ad. I feel like he created that show with Holly Mandel. Do you remember Holly? I didn't know her. My sister does. I think they both created that show. Was she there? When was she last there? She was there when Brian was there. But I mean, I because it's main, a relatively recent show. She was in the main company show. when I was a student there and then in the 90s but she was super young she wasn't much older than me well this, this is like 97 i'm sure he created it much later than that but i could be wrong that's Maybe. what my epitaph will be she was always the last to know and <laughs> i could be wrong yeah <laughs> but it, it is so brilliant and <clears throat> then she puts these people that when they create the characters they go on dates yeah and it's just inspired I, I would be scared shitless to do it. Yeah. I love that. I love that when Melanie was directing, when I was going there, the, the Thursday shows, mm-hmm. the second half would always be a long form improv. Like yeah. you get like, you know, style of 
television show or something. Right. They do like a three act. Love that. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. And the Crazy Uncle Joe show. Great. That, that's a whole form of improv that was absolutely created there. Yeah. And really hard to do. Yeah. I saw them interviewing Taryn Killam and he's saying, I'm scared to do it. You know, I've, like I've seen twice, him yeah. though, uh, in uh, cooking with gas. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's a great he's improviser. So funny. Oh my God. His impressions are amazing. I know. His Brad Pitt impression. I haven't seen I've that. never seen anyone do a Brad. Yeah. And I've never seen someone do a Brad Pitt impression. I haven't either. My God. Yeah. You know, Lorne told me that one of the reasons he loved Bill Hader was he did an impression of Vincent Price, but so, he was so young, mm-hmm. you know, for him to have that in his repertoire yeah. was so cool. You know, he loved that. Bill Hader's so... He's so great. Incredibly funny. Yeah. He does a lot of voice work now, too. I know. I like, know I remember that. when I saw... Um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Yep. Or Scott Pilgrim. The, the the Edgar Wright movie Scott Pilgrim the, there was just a voice who was always like the voice of like from a video game going three points throughout the whole movie and oh was, wow and I was like that sounds really familiar uh-huh. Bill yeah he shows up everywhere he good he good he's all right nice <laughs> we're still recording Lori okay. Um, when was the last time you auditioned for something? Oh my God. Not voiceover. Do you, no, do you do voiceover auditions still? Every once in a while, but you read the them at the agency. Agent. Yeah. We're DPN. Um, but I'm also fortunate enough to have worked for so long that people just cast me. Yeah. You did Brendan's show. You were in Metalocalypse. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You did and a lot of episodes. That was of a, a DPN packaged show. I mean, everybody, Mark Hamill's DPN. Um, I didn't know that. Victor, uh, I can't remember Victor's last name. Victor Mature. We're doing a podcast. We're doing a podcast and we're having a, a conversation with you. And um, you're, you sound like you're disembodied. You just saw two people talking and then you're like, why do they have microphones? No, these are plugged into something. Oh, my God. No, no. These are plugged into something. Yeah, there is a record of what we've said. There is a record of it. That is so goddamn funny. Yeah, I I love doing metal. I did an episode of this podcast in my car. (laughs) Oh, great. I was shooting a movie in Ohio in October, and me and... Uh, my friend Seth Herzog, who's a comedian, and my girlfriend drove from Cincinnati, Ohio, like an hour and a half down into Kentucky to look at this. Um, it's called the Ark Experience. Like these religious people have created from biblical records a replica of Noah's Ark that is so massive. Jeez. Oh yeah, it's like the size of the Queen Mary. It is Jesus. It is huge and it is in the middle of nowhere. Right. I've heard about this place. And it is bananas. So we drove down there and Seth and I sat up front in my rental car and we talked like this on microphones. I love it. And we were recording it. And at (laughs) one point my girlfriend was like Look at the people driving next to us. And people were like staring at us because we're like driving and talking in the microphones. And uh, 
And then I was like, oh my God, we look like psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> it is our recording studio yeah. for crying out loud. I have a friend, Todd Bishop, who was in a band called Irritating Rainbow. Oh, that's a great name. And they have an album called The Car Album, and they recorded the entire album in a car while it was moving. I love that. Wow. Yeah. Well, the, the sound must be amazing. It must be you like never know it was, really unique. You would never know it was recorded in a car. Really? Other than the fact that they say it was recorded <laughs> in a car. They tell you. So I kind of wanted to hear like engine noises and... Yeah. But it's... Uh, yeah. It's it's a really good album. <laughs> oh, I got to check that out. Yeah. Do you think I'd like their sound? Yeah. I'll send it to you. I don't know if you can find it anywhere, but I'll send it to you. Thank Did you, I ever tell you that Rob Crow from Goblin Cock reached out to me <laughs> Goblin on Cock. Twitter? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was so excited. I'm amazed at your um, how up-to-date you are on music. That's one thing I, wa- I, d- I wanted to talk about was you're always posting stuff on Facebook about like EDM, mm-hmm. like, which, by the way, I didn't know was electronic dance music. I know what electronic dance music is. But you didn't know that represented. I'd never seen it abbreviated. Yeah. So you're like, I, oh, there's this EDM festival or something. And I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is EDM? I didn't even know it was music. Um, but you're into like Skrillex and... Yeah. Oh, um, well, also remember, I am a human oddity at these festivals. Yeah, but yeah. I've been going to Coachella since 2006. Yeah. And uh, that's where I discover my new music. And because I am a my, hag my and I have to get music. a knee replacement, I haven't been able to go in the last three years. It's very common. Yeah. I think most people have to have that done. Oh, it's so gnarly. But um, then I'll be going back to Coachella. But, you know, in my frustration and, and despair, I would just, you know, get the, the uh, lineup and oh. I would listen to every single band. And, no and you know, I've got way. this blog on my website. You do? Uh, LorraineNewman.com. Uh, yeah, about Coachella. It's, oh it's just God. two years worth because yeah. it's the last two years I haven't been able to go. <laughs> but I listen to every single band. You're welcome. 136 bands. But, you know, what's great is they have a, a link to each band's yeah. YouTube or, or whatever. Yeah. And I know within seconds whether I like if their sound. Yeah. You know, and if I'm way. not sure, I'll listen a little longer. Right. And if I'm still not sure, I'll find another source for another song of their theirs but um that's how i get my new music and i love it but i don't know why edm makes me so happy i think it (laughs) taps into my rage Mm -hmm. but uh i love it i just love it and really the hardcore stuff you know they call it um there's certain you know levels of it but i think it was skrillex skrillex that coined this expression uh bro step as opposed to dubstep Uh because that's the really you know hard stuff yeah and I love that. See, I don't know the difference between, like, if you say electronic dance music, I am immediately just thinking every type of electronic music. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know the difference between house. Like, I wouldn't know if you played something if it was trance or house or dubstep or mm-hmm. whatever the other million. I don't know what's attached to certain. Styles. I mean, I don't like, for for instance, Cascade. His stuff is I really. Who that is? <laughs> who that is? I'll tell you the story. I, you know, every year I'm trying to wangle a. a... I've washed my dishes with Cascade. <laughs> All right, with a K. Mm-mm-mm. I um, 
I'm always trying to wrangle uh, the you know the VIP wristband because they're so yeah. expensive. And one year I pitched an idea to the LA Times Magazine of a mother daughter piece, Great. and they went for it. And you know, Golden Voice in the last minute says, you know, well, we want you to interview some people. Nice. And I was like, but I that's the the thing is not that's really outside my comfort zone well it's, it's just this isn't what the article is about <clears throat> i'm not a rock journalist but i've always wanted to be one yeah, yeah, yeah. so i interviewed cascade uh-huh. and uh what I, he was great but what i got out of it was that uh a lot of people collaborate they meet at at coachella yeah. and they end up collaborating yeah. which i think is so cool yeah but <laughs> Yeah, I just love that sound. It's so crazy. I I don't know at what point it happened, but I just, I mean, I guess it's that's how music works and generations work. Is you just, I just now only listen to what I already own. Like it just kind of, mm-hmm. it just kind of stopped at Queens of the Stone Age, and I was ah, just they're like, great. So I know when you know my favorite bands have new albums out. Mm-hmm. Um, But then I don't know any, like, I did an episode of Howard Kramer. Oh, yeah, I did that show. uh, Oh, no, wait a minute. I've not done it yet. I've not done that. I was Whale Cave is what I did. (laughs) I did Who Charted, and I did their year-end episode where they they counted down, like, the top charting songs or whatever from that year. And this was a few years ago. And it was a live show in front of an audience. Oh, that's fun. And so they'd be... They got to, uh, you know, the songs of that year and they go, the number one song top of the charts for this year was Gangnam Style. Oh, no. And I go, I don't know what that is. Oh, man. And they were both like, what? I go, (laughs) I don't know what that is. They go, you you know what it is. You just don't know the name of it. Right. I go, okay. And they played it. And I go. I've never heard that before in my the audience wow. was going what it's like not hearing the Macarena exactly yeah and I was like no I I don't listen to the radio and oh, they yeah. were so baffled that I didn't know I was like is Gangnam Style the band and they're like oh my god you are an idiot <laughs> stop talking so I I don't know unless people turn me on to stuff like I love Goblin Cock now because you. Oh, uh, I'm so glad you did that song on our show. Yeah, he's he's such a talented guy. He's got a lot of bands. Yeah, but um, you know, people my age and they say, you know, we have tickets to see Stevie Wonder and the Doobie Brothers at the Hollywood Bowl, yeah. and I'd be great. That's that. You're not. That doesn't great. float your boat no, anymore. No, just so couldn't care less. Oh, that's still. Yeah, I would Stevie Wonder, yes, for me. Doobie Brothers, not so much. But like, I went and saw Steely Dan like two years ago, and I, because I fucking love Steely Dan. Yeah, they're interesting. In fact, someone wrote an article about them when they were appearing at Coachella, mm-hmm. which was a couple years ago, yep. saying that they really were, uh, I guess considered new wave in their in their time uh, because their yeah. sound was unlike anybody else's with yeah. that jazz aspect of it. You know, yeah, they. Uh, Apparently, you know, you know, they've toured like the last two years, but I get, I forget who was telling me this. Maybe it was Brendan or it might have been Mike Keneally was saying they just never toured because it was not cost effective. They had all these hits and everything, but they had to have such a huge band to play all those songs. Oh, wow. That they were just like, eh, we're not going to. You know, Chevy was their original drummer. 
Yeah, he was roommates, right? With yeah, Wa- Donald, uh, Fagan Donald Fagan. Or, yeah. In, in college. It's hard to imagine. But uh That's so insane. I know. It's all connected, it's a Steve. Small world. It's all connected. The art world is all connected. Yeah. Um what are you, are you working on anything right now? You doing Let's voices see. for anything? I'm on uh Puss in Boots. Yeah. This is all Netflix uh, what's that other show? Troll Hunter, Guillermo del Torres. Troll Hunter. How's that? I'm it's great. It. It's it's first of all, looks beautiful. Yeah. And he's gotten great people. I think you know, Michael Fassbinder is doing, or no, not him. Uh, the other guy, the one that was in Crimson Peak. Um. Oh. Uh, you know, he was a night manager. Anyway, I they've got him doing a voice that. in the, in the pilot episode. Oh and man. I told you I met him. When they did the first, the pilot. Del Toro? Yeah. And, you know, I had just listened to him on Chris Hardwick's show. Yeah. And he was talking about all the things that he's doing. And I thought, he's so busy. He'll never be there. And he was. He just, everyone's been talking about, he just did like an exhibit of like. I saw it. All the artwork that he owns, right? Steve, you would have loved it. It was so amazing. Yeah. I saw a lot of Instagrams. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just, I don't even know how to describe it because it was all different mediums. It's also his collection of books yeah. and art. Yeah. And, uh, it's deep is yeah. all I can say. You That's know? what everyone was saying was like, I can't believe how vast this is. Yeah. His, his background, you know, the, his compendium is yeah. so vast. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, we were working out how he wanted certain characters to sound. And at one point, it was the school teacher, and he's saying, I want her to sound like Miss Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. Holy shit. <laughs> I was shit. like, dude, how do you know that stuff? He's just That's a he's deep cut. so great. <laughs> so great. I'm a big fan of his. Um, and I'm on a show called Doc McStuffins. Okay. Who was just, it was just renewed for the fifth season. That show has gotten a Peabody Award. And nice. Michelle Obama has done a Holy voice shit. on it. And, uh, let's see who else. Um, a lot of the cast of Downton Abbey has, have, have done voices on it. What? Um, it's an interesting show. It's, it's for a very young audience. But it's very empowering too, because That's it's great. a, you know, this character is a black girl. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, there's a show on Warner Brothers, Dorothy and the Wonder of Oz. Uh-huh. Guess who I am? Dorothy. No, come oh, on, one, dude. You're one of the, the wicked witch. Come on, dude. That's great. Um, oh God, I know. I, it's so hard for me to remember the shows that Voice, I do. Voiceover is so great, isn't it? It is. Oh, I'm doing American Dad every once in a while. I did one of those. I love it. It's amazing. It. I'll still get a residual. I did it years ago and I'll still get a residual check now and then. I'm like, That's great. Like, cha-ching. Love it. Uh, I met Mark Hamill like a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, this is such an embarrassing story. I did a show he was on called, um, oh, fuck. No, I'm not going to Was remember. it an animated show? It was an animated show. He did a voice. He was on Batman. He was the Joker. I mean, he's been it, on so it, many things. It wasn't things. a superhero show. It was one of those weird... Oh, was it uh, Motor City? Nope. But it's one of those adventure timey type shows. Uh-huh. We were recording at Cartoon Network, and I was in the green room waiting to go in and record, and he came in. Had a full beard because I think he was still doing Star Wars. Uh huh. So I didn't recognize him. 
looked like a homeless guy. He walked in, he had a hat, a baseball cap pulled down over his eyes and a beard. And, and he was just like, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, Hey, I'm Steve. He's like, Mark. And I, I didn't even put two and two together. And then they came in and they're like, all right, you guys were ready to record. And we go in and I'm standing next to him while we're recording this episode. And it wasn't until halfway through recording that something in his voice made me go, that's Mark Hamill. I mean, it was too late at that point for me to go, hey, I'm a really big fan of yours. Aww, I was like, never too late. I was like, fuck, I'm standing right next to Mark Hamill. He's, I had no idea for a long time. People don't know how good he is in this field. You know, and talk about obscure impressions. Yeah. He does a great Gary Busey. No. A great one, yeah. He does. That's always impressive. It's like, you know, <clears throat> Paul F. Tompkins does iced tea. Mm -hmm. And he, he does it so well. And he does his laugh. Yeah. Which amazes me. Yeah. But there's just, I love nothing more than, than an obscure impression. I do. You got to hear Taryn's uh, Brad Pitt. I think you probably find it online somewhere, but it's, it's crazy. Oh, I got to see that. Because you don't, I don't, wouldn't even know where to start with a Brad Pitt impression. He, he seems innocuous, it. but he's not. He does it. And as soon as he does it, you're like, that's absolutely 100% <laughs> Brad Pitt. Wow. All I right. love that. Where can people find you on the social networks? Um, at Lorraine Newman on Twitter, Lorraine Newman fan page, and uh, which I wish I could rename it, but someone else has. I wanted to do the uh, Lorraine Newman page, but uh, someone has it. No. My spelling and won't let go of it. You know, she's in England and she just won't. I've written and her. She doesn't please. have a website up for it. No, she just, she just has this page. She has the Lorraine Newman page, and that, that's your name? fuck out of yeah. It's her name. You're out of luck. There's a guy who has steveag.com, ah, and it's a fucking car blog that's updated very infrequently. Yes, exactly. What like, are they this doing is with a Corvette? It? It's really cool, <laughs> and I'm just like, you fucker. <laughs> I could really use that. Yeah. Well, Twitter is at Lorraine Newman. Uh, so the fan page and uh, LorraineNewman.com is my website. Awesome. Well, people should check you out. You're very funny. Thanks, man. And um, thanks for doing this. We, Thank you for axing me. Clocked in an hour and 10 minutes. Wow. How about that? That's pretty great. Um, thanks, Lorraine. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. Feral Audio.